Brad, um, all the talk in, we'll kick it off with a footy question, all the talk in recent weeks have been about club culture. Um, Gary Pert famously said a couple of weeks ago, the CEO of Melbourne, that the culture of his club has never been better. Since then, we've found out that one of their players is dealing drugs to his teammates. Um, their best player is maybe not going to play round one and is in big trouble. And the president and the board are embroiled in a legal dispute with a former president. So I, I would, whenever people, I think, like me, read these articles, we often wonder, what is, what's culture? What does it mean to you? And where have you seen it at its best in your time in footy? Well, thanks very much for the soft introduction, Caroline. <laughs> Sitting here in front of the most intimidating audience I've ever been in front of, I think I can handle um, you know, 90,000, 100,000 at the G, but um, this audience is something I'm not really used to. So, not in my comfort zone, and, um, and you kick me off with culture. And um, yeah, look, I mean, culture very simply is uh, to me, and it's different things to different people. Everyone knows how important it is. But it's simply the people that are at an organisation at any given time. And a, and a culture can be um, indoctrinated in an organisation and passed down, but it's something that, in my view, you have to work at every single day. And it's not, you know, people who say, oh, we've got a great culture, my response is, yeah, at the moment you have. Because it can change in a heartbeat. And as soon as you think you've got all the systems in place, you've got a, a, a really strong group of people, um, you know, one you know, misstep can can tear at the fabric of, of your culture. So it's something that you've got to consistently work at. And you know, for the for the culture of the Essendon Football Club as it relates to players, you know, we, we talk a lot about the behaviours that we expect from our players, and that's on-field and off-field behaviour. Um, but it's also related to performance as well. So, you know, you, you can have a player who's a really high performer, but is not a cultural driver of your football club. And that's the, the, the really challenging space for a coach because we, we're, we're in a performance industry. I mean, we want to win. And, you know, I, I think, you know, it's great to see some Essendon scarves and polos in the room and Essendon supporters, but I mean, we're, we're dealing, like most clubs, with some really capable players who probably don't exemplify what you want in terms of you know, those behaviours. But again, that's why I've got a job. That's, that's, that's why you have a coach, because my job is to try and, and educate players as to the type of people we want them to be first and foremost, and then the type of players we want to be. So. I mean, in the Melbourne situation, I would never talk about um, another football club because everyone has their opinion and it's, and it's your job to talk about those things. But I've been in football long enough to know that, that people think they know what's going on inside of a football club, but until you're actually there and you witness it, it it's almost impossible to really know. Um, you know, and I think it's it's likely that, that you can think. You know, I look at someone like Max Gorn. I mean, what a what an icon of the game. What a mm. what an upstanding human being. Let alone unbelievable footballer. You know, and he's talked talked openly about. He thought the culture was great. So it's really difficult to see. You know, you're dealing with 45 players roughly. You're dealing with a huge staff. Um, you know, so it's really difficult to know everything that's going on. And I think of some of these massive organisations and. You know that if you think, oh, we've got this great culture, just you know, you got to work on it tomorrow and the next day, and constantly, because as soon as you think you've got it done, um, that's when you're in trouble. Brad, how widespread do you think the use of cocaine is in the football community? Yeah, another softie up first. Um, <laughs> Don't worry, I'll, I'll look after yeah, you. Yeah, come on, Corey. Uh, um, no, I, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think anyone knows. Um, you know, I saw a headline today that around the stats of drug use um, in Australia. Um, what I what I do know is that we are we are dealing with certainly as the as the men's coach at Essendon, we're dealing with. 18-year-olds who we literally get them as boys um, who are in their final year of school and, and they, they, are, they are going from boys to men very quickly and we expect them to go from a school environment where they're you know, mollycoddled to a certain extent and then they're put out into a, an incredibly difficult AFL environment with high levels of scrutiny, even higher levels of expectations placed on them. Um, and we're dealing with a cohort, 18 to, you know, early mid 30s who you know if you look at if you go to universities and did a, a poll of how many university students probably are involved in some sort of illicit drugs I would I don't know this for a fact but I would bet a lot of money even though I'm not a gambler that I'd prefer to have my son at an AFL football club rather than a university or a marketing agency so we can talk about you know drug use in the AFL but that the support that's put around those players is is unbelievable from what I've seen. But are we naive to think it doesn't happen? Of course it happens. Um, but, you know, I, is it right? I don't know. It skipped my generation, fortunately. So, I, I just didn't see it and I still don't see it, but I, I don't think anyone's doing it in front of me. So just, just to hone in on your personal experience, so you're that rare breed, um, you've played in more than one premiership, which not many players get to do, and you got to do it twice with your twin brother, who was also a, a brilliant AFL coach, in fact, a two-time premiership coach. You then became a coach yourself after, and did the assistant coaching road. And then after you left North Melbourne, you went to the AFL. Now, I, I reckon you hit the crossroads two years ago. And had you stayed at the AFL, you would probably be running football for the AFL now, and you'd probably be Andrew Dillon's number two. And yet you chose to go back into the fray. Mm. First of all, why? And second of all, how did you sell it to Penny and the kids? <laughs> yeah, well, and some of your lovely family is here tonight. Family in the, in the audience. Uh, Hello to the McCann girls. Well, the short answer is I'm a glutton for punishment. I, I mean, um, the AFL was was an incredible experience. I learnt a lot. You know, I, I but when I finished school, I, I probably I straddled the era um, in the early '90s of. Um, amateur football moving into professional football. So I finished school, um, was lucky to get, or fortunate to get drafted, but I went to university fully understanding that I would have to work and play football to earn a living. It wasn't, you know, full-time footballer, it was part-time footballer, you know, part-time, you know, regular employee. So I, I really had my mind set on, on, you know, forging my own career and, and then football very quickly with new broadcast rights became professional. So. Um, my ambitions to go and work in, in, in business, finance, um, was put to the side. Very, you know, very fortunate to play professional football. But when I finished at North Melbourne, I, I thought, well, this is something I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to go into business. And, you know, but what do I know? I'm an I'm a, I'm a ex-footballer who coached for a while in his mid-40s who's, yeah, I finished my university degree, but, I mean, I've never worked in, in business. So I thought the AFL was a good little bridge to learn about the business of sport and then you know go off into a career in 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 business because um, I was still young enough to forge another career um, but 
you know, it's like that scene in The Godfather, they just keep pulling me back. Like, I, ju- I, I, just, I just had this, um, you know, and, and not because I was anything special. I mean, when a club loses their coach or they're looking for a new coach, they make at least 30 or 40 phone calls. So every time in that three-year period when a coach um, got moved on, they would ring and I would say, thank you, I'm very um, honoured to you know, be considered to enter your process, but I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. And every time they hung up the phone and didn't call back. And when Essendon called, I said the same thing. Um, but the difference with Essendon is they kept calling, like every day. They just kept calling and calling. And, and it forced me to, to sort of think about it because I was a, a solid no. Um, but then I thought, well, what do I really love doing? I mean, I, I've got this, this idea of going off into business, but I've never done it. Well, I, I love working with players and I love developing people. That's really what I'm passionate about. And I, I've got a firm belief that if you do that really well, the winning comes after that. But, but it's not about winning first, it's about developing people. And that's why our philosophy is develop really good people and make them the best footballers they can be simultaneously. Um, and I just thought, well, that, that's what I love doing. And if I don't do this now, um, the football world will pass me by. And three years out is the maximum I think you can be out before the world moves on. Brad? I wonder, can I just ask, though, because there's a parallel with your career, Mike. So you left journalism in 1980, 79, 80 for a bit. Went to like, the AFL. Yeah, went yes. to the AFL. And then, you know, you come back. Is it is it unfinished business when you go back for you know go back to to do something that you I think did so earlier? yeah no one barracks for the AFL and there was a sense of belonging no one likes journos but at least the, the camaraderie at, the, at our paper is strong did, did, do you think you're a better journalist when you yeah. came back yeah like, well I saw that was the first taste that I've ever had of corporate life and I was actually loosely looking after Ross Oakley and he's mixing with all the high flyers and as the AFL does so I would have been pretty dumb not to have picked up a few tips there, I think. Not that it led to any stories, but just you, you rounded, just rounds your education off. And Brad, how's it made you a better coach, do you think, going back having had that corporate experience? Oh, well, I was, again, I was very fortunate. I had um, the corporate experience, but then the last year of my role at the AFL was a lot around game analysis. Uh, so I was looking at the game from a different perspective, and it was mostly around how do we, how do we take the, the business of football and, and keep it current and keep it relevant and keep the fans really engaged in it so I was still really I was looking at it through how do we make the game the most attractive um, sport in the world and the most enjoyable and engaging sport in the world but there was always that oh gee I'd be doing that a little bit differently if I was you know coaching so I was always thinking about that so I, I had that that experience, but I mean, it's more. It's, it hasn't so much helped my coaching, but it's helped my my management of people. It's helped my management of staff. But I think most importantly, holistically, um, it's opened my eyes just to to how important football is to so many people in this country and and internationally as well. And I had 12 months as head of AFL Victoria, and and that encompasses. You know, 1,200 clubs in Victoria, you know, from, from grassroots all the way up, seeing the growth in, in girls' and women's football and, and what that does for... You now, I just... At AFL Victoria, you know, whether you're a, you're a six-year-old boy or girl now, you can go to Auskick and know that there's a career path or there's a journey to become an AFL, a professional AFL footballer, or just to be involved in the sport. And, you know, when I came through, girls playing football just wasn't, you know, and, and even if you did play football, you played in a mixed team and you had to stop playing when you were 14 because there wasn't anywhere for you to go. So those milestones, those things that I knew nothing about because 
the, the downside of being an AFL senior coach is that you are laser focused on what you need to do and part of the job is being able to, to drown out all the distractions and just focus on what you need to focus on. So I was oblivious to all that and the AFL taught me all of that. Brad, a Ross Lyon coach team hasn't kicked more than 10 goals in his history. Except for last Friday. They kicked 16 against you last Friday. <laughs> now, given, given the backdrop and how disappointing Essendon's been in recent years, does that hurt the brand? I mean, would your supporter group be despondent over what they saw last Friday? Uh, in terms of our performance? Yeah. Uh, it was a practice game, Mike. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Of course, it's a practice game. Yeah. But I would have thought you wanted to be a bit more competitive than that. No, we want to. We... They beat you by sixty-six points. Oh, did they? Thank, thanks. <laughs> Mike still got it. Um, <laughs> the, the, I'm, I'd be just as cons- I, I go into those practice games thinking. I just remind myself: this is a practice game. It's never as good as it seems. Never as bad as it seems. Don't take too much out of it either way. We don't know what the opposition's trying to do. We played a really well-drilled, well-organised um, team, and you know we were trialling things, looking at things, and we played accordingly. We played. We're, we're pretty messy and pretty untidy, but um, there was a practice game, as I said. So you know, we played Geelong tomorrow, and and they look pretty ominous again, Geelong. So um, yeah, I mean the. the the, the results are the things that, that everyone sees. We just focus ag- again on what we can control, the actions and behaviours that I talked about earlier, what are we looking for. And my job, you know, is not to sell tickets. And Essendon supporters, they don't... They don't I, I think Essendon supporters have had enough of being told how good they're going to be. And I was taught a very valuable lesson when I was young because, you know, I've got young kids at the moment. And we all know that young boys and girls, when they're sort of six and seven... They say things like, oh, that'd be easy, or I can do that, or, you know, that's, you know, show I can do that. And my mum used to say to me, don't tell me, show me. And I thought, that's what Essendon people want. Don't tell me how good you're going to be, just show us. Right? And so that's where our focus is. Um, you know, I don't think our supporters take too much out of, out of a practice game. I certainly didn't. But, you know, that being said, it's a, it is a brutal competition now. And... Just going back to the AFL, another thing I learned, I knew this, but I, I saw it firsthand. Every single decision the AFL makes is based around competitive balance. So if you've got a team that's too strong, it's how can we pull them back a notch? If you've got a team that's down the bottom, how can we lift them up? And what's that? And they've done a brilliant job of it. What's, what it's created is a competition now where Fremantle finished fifth one year on a, on a rising curve, and everyone thinks, oh, they're away, and they finish 15th the next year. That will happen again this year. I don't know to who or how, but that's the reality of the competition. And it's perfect for people in your Mm. position because there's going to be clubs in turmoil this year because it's set up that way and that's the way it is. My job's just to focus on the things that I can control and, you know, even results, you know, results will be the results. I can't control what St Kilda are doing, but I can control what we're doing and we've got to keep our focus there. So why did you never go on Mike's interview show, Open Mic? All about Mike. Um, well, oh, that's right, eh? Well, it's cool. That's, we're going so well. <laughs> no, Mike, Mike did ask me to come on. Um, and I, I'm just not at the phase of my life where I'm, I, I want to reminisce and go back and talk about, you know, oh, again, I did this. And oh, when, when we were playing, we did this. I just I find it really... 
makes my skin crawl. I just, I, I, I'm oh, in really? there. Well, you're giving, you're giving something to footy supporters who want to hear your story, though. I, I, I think you're overestimating people's interest in my story. Like, I, I just, <laughs> I, I, but quite apart from anything else, um, I'm engaged in what I'm doing right now. I, I, I just don't. I haven't even watched the, the, the Lions Premiership games back. Like I just I just try and focus on what I'm doing at the time. That's a bit of a buzz thing at the moment, you know, stay in the present. But I just I just don't like reminiscing, I like focusing on what I'm doing. And that's a big part of the reason. The other part of the reason is Mike wanted Chris and I on the show at the same time. And I just thought, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Like I'm not doing I'm not doing that for him, I'm not doing that for me. It's like you want you want the twin you want the twin thing, we just, you know, we We'd prefer not to do that. So if you want me by myself, um, no worries. And he said, no, I need both of you. So thanks for asking that. Greg, you talk about the evenness of the competition that's been created and in turn that creates high drama every season, which is why, you know, we all love the game, all that sort of stuff. But I wonder what you've learned about your own um, your own self-care to use a Bobbity bobbity kind of statement, but how 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 do you kind of manage the highs and lows of the game? And I don't want to talk about the practice match the other day, but how do you manage it through the season? How does Penny cope? How was she pleased when you said, "Look, Essendon have come knocking"? It must be a joint decision, but what kind of gets you both over the line? But how do you look after yourself when it's a long season and it's a tough season? Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a it's a you know it's a great question because you know, I know that's what every journalist loves we it's love a great question, but, it's a great but question but it, but it is a great question because it, it, it makes you think about um, I don't have a good answer because the reality is uh, I don't think anyone's very good at it um, you know, and that's, that's a bit of a problem for the industry now because um, I said I'm a glutton for punishment and I sort of mean it like it's you, you go I go into this role now eyes wide open into the environment that I'm going into and it's a very, very um, difficult environment. It's relentless. It's all-encompassing. I was appointed at North Melbourne as a 33-year-old, uh, untried. Um, assist- I've been an assistant coach for two and a half years, and I was appointed to North Melbourne at 33 as a head coach. Now that that would, wouldn't happen today. That you know, and God knows what they were thinking at the time. Um, but but I went in as a blissfully ignorant 33-year-old. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Had I known what I was getting myself into, I think I, I would have waited another couple of years. Um, Why? Well, because, well, uh, just let me take one step back. The other thing was, you know, I didn't have kids at that stage. You know, I, I wasn't married yet. Um, it was my decision and mine alone. And so if, um, if things worked out great, but if they didn't work, work out, then I only had myself to deal with. Um, this time around, Family, um, kids—you know—it's a—it's a family decision. So, um, don't worry. It was—it was. There were a lot of a lot of discussions and and compromises that, that we had to make. But long-winded way of answering your question: that how do you um, self-care or how do you actually look after yourself? It's the same way everyone does, and that that you've got to be able to take time away. Focus on what's really important to you, not only in footy, but, but in your life. Don't take things personally. You know, the other thing I learned at the AFL is the AFL have a media um, organisation now, you know, AFL.com, which is theoretically independent, but everyone knows it's owned by the AFL. And what they are searching for every single day is content. We just need content, and if it's uh, inflammatory or if it's negative, 
even better because that drives traffic, that drives interest, that drives revenue. And what you know, I worked out whilst at the AFL is um, the players, the coaches, we are the content. Like we, we are the content that, that is... So when you, you, know, you take it personally when people criticise you or they criticise your players or your team, but really, you know, it, it's content. Now, that, that might sound a bit confronting to people, but that's the reality. And I think um, trying not to take things personally is the biggest challenge, but I defy anyone when they're criticised to say they enjoy it. And, and so you have to be able to deal with it and you have to be able to just... Again, focus on what's important, have a really tight network of people around you and, and mentors and people you can talk to and, and stay focused on just what's important and, and try and, it's a cliche, but drown out the noise around you. We, we often have a joke about relevance deprivation. You know, Mrs. Football, um, when she leaves the age, you know, what's that going to look like? Mm. Um, Mickey, when he, he leaves, you know, his, his sofa waiting for you to come and sit beside him, you know, what does that, what does that look like? Did you have any sense of that at the AFL? Did you kind of miss the day-to-day -day club cut-and-thrust stuff? I, I, I miss the people. I miss the players. Um, I, I miss the, the camaraderie, the fact that you, you, you win together, you lose together, but you, you, you do it as a, as a group, you know, and... You know that that's that's what football clubs are great at. That you you bring people together in you know pursuit of a common goal, and you're all in it together. Um, and and that's why you know I, I define my role as a coach to the players all the time. Uh, it's like I am here to help you. Like I'm here to help you and support you. That's my job. That doesn't mean I let you off. I hold you accountable to really high standards that we set. But I'm not here to critique you. Like that that's with due respect. That's your jobs. Like to criticise and, and critique players. My job is to hold them accountable to really high standards and, and support them and help them, you know, be, be the best they can be. Um, you know, so I, I think that's the, that's the, that's the challenge in, in footy is that everyone loves it, everyone's got an opinion, but, you know, the negativity, unfortunately, and it's the negativity biases across the world. I mean, I stopped watching the news over a decade ago. And I watched the news, like, how bad is the world at the moment? It's like, everything's bad. Like, it's just... But it, that's, what, that's what leads... You know, and you, and you know this. Right? You, you know, and, and media organisations know this. I now know this. But does it make it any easier that you know it when you're getting criticised? No, it doesn't. Do you miss it, Mike? Do you miss the day-to-day? -day? No, I don't. No, I, I, I wouldn't be able to cope with the modern journalism and social media and stuff like that. No, I, don't. I, I miss the, I miss the um, open mic. I, I love doing the interviews, but I don't miss the day-to-day -day stuff. Talking about day-to-day -day stuff, we last saw you in print in September mm -hmm. as Melbourne's most prominent football commentator. Are you going to strike a blow anytime soon? Next, next week. Oh, when you're the back next week, eh? Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, well, it's good break, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you're having a crack at everyone. <laughs> Firing arrows left, right and centre. No, well, I'm contracted to do a column every week during the footy season, Sid, and that's what oh, I'll be doing. Good job. I've, I've actually got one for the panel, actually. I'll start with you. When Brad took that job at North Melbourne as a 33-year-old, he replaced a bloke called Dean Laidley, who's now Danny Laidley, who has been fated by the AFL industry and the sports industry. Mm. I think at the Australian Sports Commission Awards last week, she was there. And, I was there last week, yeah. Oh, yeah, I saw yeah, she, that. She won the award. Yep, yeah. her, her book but she's trying to get a job in the industry, and so far she's failed. You mean the Footscray AFLW job? Yeah, I, I think she went for a job at West Coast as well. Do you think she should get a job? 
I mean, can you understand why clubs would be wary? What are you, what are you implying? Why are clubs wary? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, I mean, he was charged with stalking. So, you know, and I know that, you know, that's all played out. I'm, are you talking about having Laidley in a room full of women? Is I that... don't. I don't think that's so. Well, m- maybe some people would have an issue with that, but I'm just interested as to why the game has embraced her so heavily, and yet no one will give her a well, job. She, she certainly can coach. I mean, she proved that she. There's no question about her ability to, to coach yeah. a, group, a football team. But I think the other, the social things, are the are the worry for a football club. Do they worry me? Probably not. But but I can't speak for the the female group, the the 30 players that are there and having. Danny Lavely as their coach, so I can't answer that. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Uh, but, are you, but are you really surprised, Carol? Like, no, I'm they, not. I'm not surprised. But I'm, I think we've come a long way as an industry. That. But look at equally equal pay. Um, you know, um, uh, disconnect that was published this week, and um, you're hearing all the corporate bosses, all of the men, saying, "Oh, we have good policies, and you know, we're working hard." They say they work hard. They say to your face. We're going to give you the job, but they're still giving it to they're still giving it to their mates. Yeah, right, but if you're, you're as the Essendon coach, if Danny Lady was in line for the AFLW job at Essendon, would you express an opinion? No, I'll, and if I was asked my opinion, I'd say I just expect it to be a meritocracy. Mm. I, I, I just I don't understand all the um, all, all the external opinions just appoint the best person and I, I I get really frustrated when there's this and even the, the, the gender gap I mean create enough opportunity like AFL football has been a, a male dominated sport for as long as uh, outside of the last sort of decade the last, every year I've been alive and before that for 100, 100 years before that it wasn't until we created opportunities for, for girls and for women to actually do the job and learn how to do the job, and then get appointed on merit. Like that—that's what—that's what's going to take the industry forward. It's not about quotas. It's not about employing women who have never worked in the football industry and, and elevating them to, to leadership positions. It's giving women the opportunity to actually progress, and then as they progress, appoint them. Like we, we now, have, Laura Kane is one of the greatest success stories, you know, that, that I can think of. And we employed Laura at North Melbourne, you know, over a decade ago. You know, really smart um, woman, lawyer, uh, really competent. She came in and was prepared to take uh, uh, an entry-level role, even as a qualified lawyer. And within six months, she, we just promoted her and promoted her and promoted her until she could have easily become general manager of football at North Melbourne. Then I went to the AFL, and the first person I got out of North Melbourne was Laura Kane to the AFL. And now she, she's running football in this country. That's a meritocracy. So it's not about it's not about catapulting, catapulting Laura into a GM of football at the AFL. Mm. It's giving opportunity, and that that's what, in my opinion, football clubs and organisations need to do. Now we've been peppering you with questions. Have you got any for him? Him or her? Him. <laughs> I've, I've got heaps for Corey, but uh, but I mean for, for Mike. While we're on the footy theme, I mean a bit of a this is a bit of a layup, Mike. But in all of your experience, and we've had this conversation, so I think I know what the answer is, but I think it'd be interesting for the audience. Of all the journalists you've worked with, it must be you know, hundreds over the journey, who's the most courageous you've come across? Oh, probably this one. Why? 
This one for the for the, pony, for the ponies at <laughs> oh, home. Sorry, would you I'm sorry. Caroline was. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think Nance would, uh, Caroline would be in my view. The, Trevor Grant was brave. I worked a long time with him. He was very good and he was brave. Um, but Caro goes to places that I'm surprised sometimes. She's still, she's, but she's charming at that. I mean, I used to say to people before, Caro would spend the winter slicing people up and the summer <laughs> stitching them up so she could do it again the next year. That sounds familiar, actually. <laughs> Don't you stop. I personally would have loved to have seen you and Chris on open mic and I know you say that there's a twin thing but you surely can understand it's not a morbid fascination it's just a it's a wonderful story well I mean I remember being at the rising star that year when your mum was there and um and she was interviewed I think about what it was like bringing up you know a family um for most of her time on her own and I think it would be something to celebrate and also the brown when we caught up with you guys at the Brownlow with Penny and Chris and his wife you're all just great friends it's not like you don't want to go because you don't want to be sitting next to your brother because he <laughs> drives you crazy oh no no I'm, I, look there's a time and a place but I think that the, the truthful explanation is I just I'm not in a position and a time in my life where I, I want to reflect on that it's like what I'm doing now when I'm when I'm old and bored then you know, there might be, <laughs> might be a time but, but again, oh, I, I, I just Let's catch I, up. I just I just don't think that um I don't know. I just have this. I just don't like talking about myself. Can I ask you one about one of your players, uh, Jake Stringer? It's not his fault, but Brian Taylor coined him the package about seven or eight years ago. He played 17 games last year and didn't finish in your top ten in the best and fairest. Are we ever going to see the Stringer that BT and a lot of us think is capable, or are we just going to have this sort of tease that he provides? You were st I'm sure you were still working. Um, you were head of Chief Footy right off the Herald Sun in 2016? No. No, you just finished, had you? Caro, you certainly were Chief Footy right mm -hmm. at the age. It's funny how people, time moves on and people change their views. In 2016, I'm pretty sure Dustin Martin was up at GWS touring the facilities about to leave Richmond at the time because, oh, he's a T, he's not, you know, he's, he flashes a brilliance, he's, he's this, he's that. Um, now, a year later, he's winning a you know Norm Smith Medal and premierships and turning it around. It wasn't that long ago that people were saying Jordan Degoe is um, now he's an issue for Collingwood. Well, you know Craig McRae comes in, supportive coach. You know Jordan Degoe is now you know, his, his display last night or the other night. It just shows everyone how good he can be. Is Jake Stringer going to be like that? I, I don't know, but but what I do know is that. We, and most of us in this room, come from a very, very fortunate background. Um, my own experience, I mean, I had every opportunity in life, went to a great school, you know, mother who, who sacrificed her entire life for her kids. You know, not everyone gets that. And, you know, again, my role with Jake is to support him, to make him as good as he can possibly be. So I get the criticism, I get the frustration with different people, but I think if we can create a really supportive environment, and again, that shouldn't be mis mistaken for, I challenge him. So I hold really high expectations for him, so I challenge him on that every day, but it's with a supportive framework. So um, will he ever reach the heights that, that you and others expect? Who knows? But my job's not to worry about how good he's gonna be. My job is to try and make him better every single day. 
Now, we're going to have to wind this up in a minute because we've gone a little bit over. It's been a fascinating conversation. I didn't even get to ask you what your Sunday recipe was or what books you've been reading over the summer. But um, we'll say... That's, we'll that's, how, that's how you switch off, you said before, in the, in the, oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, in the if, kitchen if on I, Sundays. If, if I have time, it, it, my, my life revolves around two things, footy and family. But if I have any other time that I'm either in the kitchen cooking or I'm in the garden gardening. So they're the, sure. they're the things I love. Really. I can, I can feel the social media department of, <laughs> uh, of Essendon coming yeah. around and filming you making... Very food. impressed by the gardening, very yeah, Brad, thank you so much for having us on. All the best for 2024. I know a lot of people are hoping that um, you'll get the best out of the package. Yeah, and um, Mike Sheehan, as always, you've been such a great supporter of our podcast. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you, Nash. Thanks, Corey. Um, and thank you, Brad. Thank you, Brad. <laughs>